When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big show for us today, Siege. Um, we'll get to Sports Interaction. We'll touch up on some trade talk, uh, some names being floated around in the NHL. The Stanley Cup Finals are on, of course. We'll talk about uh, what Game 5 could look like as well. Shane Doan joining the Toronto Maple Leafs office and maybe some Austin Matthews talk as well. We are recording on a Sunday evening. I'm buzzing, we, man. We are minutes, we, minutes ago, we watched one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history. Nick Taylor, the first Canadian to win the RBC Canadian Open in 69 years. And he didn't just win it. Any old-fashioned way, four-hole playoff, and a 72-and-a-half-foot putt to win the Open. One of the most incredible things I have seen, Siege. It was – I'm seriously – I am buzzing. <laughs> and I covered golf for a long time, actually, earlier in my career. And I, so I have a lot of affinity for the sport. Uh, I don't know Nick Taylor personally, but I do know a lot of the players that have been around that are Canadian because it's, it's not a big group. I know a lot of the people that work for Golf Canada, um, and so they're they're heavily invested in this. And so I, it's just hard not to be happy. I mean, first of all, just straight up, you don't have to like golf. Like if you watched that the last couple hours of the broadcast, that was riveting uh, with the back and forth uh, with Tommy Fleetwood in the playoff. You know, it looked like it was going to go Nick's way, then it was Tommy's way. Nick, like it was it was back and forth. Like the drama, the crowd was so into it, and then to make a seventy-two foot putt. Man, I, Nick Taylor himself, it, the longest putt he's ever made on the PGA Tour. They keep stats on all this stuff. He's played, I think it was 250 events. Like, let's do some quick math. So if you play 250 events, it, it's four rounds. I know, obviously, he didn't make the cut in them all. But so he's played roughly, what, a thousand rounds on the PGA Tour. A typical golfer at that level takes between 25 and 30 putts in a round. Like he is, he is conservatively probably taken 30,000 putts on the PGA tour. And that's the longest one he's ever sank in that moment with the rain falling with the crowd going bananas. I mean, I'm sorry. Cause I realize there's a our podcast goes around the world. There's probably some people that are like, what are you guys even talking about? But if you were watching that, that was something special. Man, uh, Nick Taylor, I believe was tied for 120th after day one. Uh, not only was that the longest putt he's made, that was the longest putt made by anyone at the tournament all week. Like, the, under the circumstances, one of the greatest sporting moments in this country I've ever seen. Yeah, and how cool is it? You got Mike Weir there. He's obviously the, the greatest men's player in, in Canadian golf history. You have Corey Connors and, and Adam Hadwin, who are, you know, peers of, of Nick Taylor, have grown up, you know, probably competing against each other and certainly know each other well. And, I, like, it was so cool to see them 
like standing out watching with the crowd, right? Even one, there was one point they, they showed Mike Weary had a Sapporo. He was just drinking a, a tin of beer there <laughs> at Greenside. So it, it was, it really was cool. And I don't know if you know this, Julian, but I actually went out to the Canadian Open on Friday. Uh, so I had a chance. Oh, yeah. I had a chance to go there and get this. Like it, it was a really cool experience. Like I, you know, I got some, some tickets where I was in sort of like a, like a, I don't know what you call it, like a suite, I guess, or whatever, yeah. overlooking the 18th hole. And, you know, like had a couple drinks and some food there. And then, and then there was a black eyed peace concert and I, I went what? backstage. Yeah. On the grounds. They do that. Alanis Morissette played on Saturday and black eyed peace played Friday night after the, the golf was done. But I, I actually I didn't know that I knew Alanis yeah. was performing, but I had no idea BEP was in there. Yeah. Well, I am like, I, like he came right by, like said, hi, what, what? Yeah, we, I, well, I'm, I'm a big will I am fan. Are you serious? Yes. And, I told the I told producer Nick this story, and like honestly, I didn't even know who Will I Am is, which will not oh surprise you. Oh my me. god, that's why when you said Black Eyed Peas, I was like, you know who that is? <laughs> well, I know the band, but I don't know the members of the band. But yeah, I was just you know just chilling with Will I Am on Friday night at the Canadian Open. Bro. So anyway, <laughs> just Bro. a random story. I'm a big Will I Am fan. Like I'm yeah. a massive fan. I mean, I've, I've I, the Black Eyed Peas are not the same Black Eyed Peas as they were 20 years ago. But I've been a big Will I Am fan for a long time. So that is huge. That's all. I'm jealous. Yeah, I mean, I wish you could have been there instead of me because you would have appreciated it more. But it, it was it was, <laughs> honestly, it was an awesome day though, and it, and and the concert was great. Like I can't believe thousands of people like stayed around after the golf and and were watching that show. And so anyway. This is a, if you ever get a chance to go to a Canadian Open, I would suggest it. It's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. Okay. One more thing before we get back on the track of talking <laughs> hockey here. What would oh, you yeah. say in this terms of, podcast. this is a hockey podcast, but, and, and maybe when we get to ask CJ near the end, we could go in more on this if you want. But what would you say, if you look back at your career, I don't know if I've asked you this question. What would you say is the wildest or biggest moment you've ever like, Cover like I, I can imagine if you're any of those guys, any of those journalists who were covering that moment uh, with Nick Taylor hitting that putt, you're thinking, okay, that's going to be filed in the back of your mind for the rest of your life. What a wild way to end a tournament! Is there a moment in your career, whether it was a golf thing, whether it was hockey, whether it was anything else, that you could say you were there for, and you're like, holy shit, I saw that live? Honestly, do you have an hour? I have I mean, all the time in the world. I have been the luckiest son of a, you know what, that you could know. I mean, I have done so many cool things that like just being a sports nut, but for me, it's gotta be the golden goal. Right. I mean, I was, Absolutely. I was like, I know I shouldn't even overthink it. I was literally, cause weirdly when you cover the Olympics that you sit in the lower bowl, like I was like literally in the sixth row uh, for that Canada U S final, the, the men's final in 2010 in Vancouver at the Olympics. Uh, it would, that's one of the greatest hockey games that I've ever attended, just tense and tight and close and the Americans tied up. And then obviously you can't write too many endings. You know, it's, it's actually kind of equivalent to Nick Taylor. Like, as you mentioned at the top there, he didn't just win. Like he won in style. Well, Canada won that men's Olympic gold in the last day of the event. Uh, mm -hmm. the last biggest, most important, arguably to, to, you know, the most, the number of Canadians and to have Sidney Crosby at the time score in overtime. I mean, it, it's hard. It's actually hard to put words around that. Like, like, what do you write? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the story is too perfect. Like it's what just... could you, what could someone like me, what, like, I would hate to see what I wrote that night. Cause like, what did I have to say? <laughs> like, what could I say about that? That like would matter. Like it, it's so crazy. You know, I want to find that now. Yes. Tell me. 
so very early in my career, I covered the 2004 Canadian Open mm-hmm. and hardcore golf fans will remember this. This was at the peak of Mike Weir. Mike Weir won the, the Masters in 2003. Mm-hmm. And so he was he was as big. He was as big of Canadian athlete at that time as anyone. I, I mean, I would put him up against any hockey player of that moment in terms of his popularity and, and the amount of attention he got in Canada. And he was leading that Canadian Open. He had a three shot lead going to the back nine on Sunday. And I was I, that that's one of the times I'm that's as scared as I've ever been doing our job because it was this huge moment. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience at that time. I hadn't, I hadn't covered a lot of, you know, I was pretty new and all of a sudden, like my boss's boss's boss is emailing me, you know, because it's, it's becoming a story that's bigger than just a sports story. And they have, you know, one of their young reporters out there for the Canadian press at the time. Anyway, unfortunately, Mike uh, squandered that lead on the back nine. He lost a three hole playoff to BJ Singh. I'll never forget this. BJ Singh actually apologized for winning to the crowd. Um, but that, and, and that was, so that was during the 2004 world cup of hockey. It was the same time. So wow. the, I just remember the, the fans, it was at Glen Abbey were insane, like wearing hockey jerseys everywhere. It just was like this wow. moment of, it's a lot of what we kind of just saw here, like similar, but obviously we didn't, didn't get that, the happy ending if you're a Canadian, but that, that moment stands out to me. But honestly, I could go on and on and on. I covered the 2005 British open at St. Andrews, um, Damn. which was a really, which was a really cool experience, but I'll tell you, this is, this is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my business. First of all, Tiger Woods won that, that tournament. And you know, I was a big Tiger fan. I, I still am today. I hope we see him play competitively again. So that was cool, but that was the last uh, tournament Jack Nicholas ever competed in. And on the, he, he didn't make the cut, but on the Friday. And so St. Andrews for anyone who's seen the pictures are like the golf course is literally in the middle of town and the 18th hole runs along a road. And so Jack Nicholas is coming up the last hole of his career. Uh, and everybody knows it, right? There's, there's a bridge there called the Swilkin Bridge. All the players stop and get a picture. So Jack gets his picture. He's walking up the fairway. Like the whole town is there. And he hits it on the green. And he's got about a 15-foot putt. And doesn't he put it in the bottom of the cup for a birdie? The last ever competitive round he played. And he came in the press room, Julian. Yeah. And he said this. He said, I knew the hole would move wherever I hit that putt. I'm like, what a legend. What a quote. And it was, I'm not kidding. The ground shook there. Like that was so amazing. And I, you know, again, I was early in my career. Like, like it was just a cool life experience, frankly, to, to, to be there. I actually stayed at the dorm um, at at the St. Andrews university. And so I just was like staying at the dorm. Like just, I was working like 15 hour days. Cause like, you know, I, I couldn't write enough stories. Like I just was there all day. It was anyway, what a neat experience. And, you know, I could go on and on and on, but I, I have a feeling we, we probably got to talk about some hockey at some point. Okay. But like when you're covering the, cause, cause just, I think there's people who also appreciate when you're able to go into your process on covering stories too. I think there's something worth discussing with being in that moment where something crazy like that happens and your mind is racing on how to cover that. Like you mentioned like, Oh, I, I would hate to look back at what, I wrote on the day of the golden goal, but like when you're in that moment and you just have to file something like what's your mind like, like, how are you, how are you processing those moments? Well, the truth is, is you feel the emotion of it, right? Like, cause even if you don't, if you're not pulling, like, you know, you're not necessarily pulling for a team when you're covering those big games, you're not necessarily pulling even for an athlete, say at the golf tournaments, like any individual athlete. Um, but you feel the crowd, right. And, and like the buildings are loud. Like that's, Honestly, that's where you, you have to just like calm your, your nerves as best you can. 
And I think you like the best thing you that you have to learn if you're going to do our job is you have to know. I mean, some moments are so obvious. Like if if I was writing this Nick Taylor story tonight, I mean that that one's so obvious you don't have to think about. It. But you have to recognize when you have a big moment and you got to write it big. Like you have to you have to meet the moment and you have to really put perspective on it in real time. And yeah, I, I mean that that's the fun of it, honestly it's harder now because I've just been so spoiled. It's like so ridiculously spoiled. But what, if I go to a Tuesday night game, you know, whatever Leafs and blue jackets and it, like, it's just not the same juice as, you know, like if, you know, you're at the Stanley cup final right now, writing this or, or, you know, being at something like the Canadian open where something cool happens like this today. I mean, it's harder to, it's harder to, to put Tuesdays in November. Like it's hard to get up for that, but I, I still love a big moment. I still love this job and man, pinch me. I don't, I don't know how any of this happened. I don't, I don't know how I, like, I can look back and tell you 20 years worth of stories and even that I can just go to this golf tournament and see will I am. And I don't know, <laughs> like, I sometimes feel like, like, I don't know how to explain all this stuff. It just keeps happening. Like the stick Taylor thing, right? Like at the end of, on Thursday, we'll do stick taps. I feel like Nick Taylor for what he did deserves a little bit more than just a humble stick tap. Yeah. I mean, like a platinum stick tap or something. I mean, his, I, I will say his life just changed. His life has changed sure. tremendously. Think about it. Like uh, my, my phone's blowing up tonight and it's a lot of people that aren't necessarily all my buddies who love golf. Like, it, like that's a moment in time, you know, there's, there's just, there, you know, there's a whole bunch of the population that would never watch a PJ tour event. Like it's just not their thing. They're not golfers. I get it. So they wouldn't have any opportunity to even know who Nick Taylor was or is. And now he will be a household name. And uh, I mean, Awesome. I mean, that, that's, I, this is why sports matter though, right? This is why sports matter is because they can cut through. You don't even have to know sometimes like how the rules work exactly, but you can get caught up in the emotion of that. And what I love about golf, quite honestly, uh, I mean, it's a great sport to play, but what I love about watching it at its highest level is there's so much pressure, right? And, and the pressure builds kind of slowly. And all of a sudden, like you're in the 18th fairway there, you know, he's got, if you remember the last playoff hole, his ball was in a divot, yeah. uh, which, which when you're as good as those players are, it's really, it's harder for them to control what happens with the ball when they're hitting out of the divot. And he, he somehow knocks it on the green and makes a 72 and a half foot putt. I mean, you know, it's, 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 there's some, there's a humanness that comes through sports that I, that's, that's like, for me, like, I get it. Like we're all into different things. Like some people are very maybe mathematically inclined or like they, they might like tactics, like might be their main thing or what have you. Like for me, I love the, the human stories. I love, I love seeing, you know, just knowing like, how, can you imagine how big that is for him? Like all the days that he's had to get up and choose to work on his golf game and, and go through all the ups and downs you would to, to do that as a professional career and to have it all come together in this, they get one tournament a year in Canada. Right. Like that's why it's been 69 years since someone won. It's not because the Canadian players have been crappy that whole time. You get one shot. You know, Mike Weir, I, I said earlier, he's the best Canadian golfer, men's golfer in history. He's won eight. He won eight PGA Tour events. So, you know, I'm just saying it's damn hard to win. And it's really hard to win one specific tournament played in your country. So hats off to, to you, Nick. And that was, I mean, it was just awesome. What a moment. It's just 72 half feet. Like, like, like I remember watching that putt and thinking, okay, maybe he gets a couple feet within. Like you see for eagle and a win, you're like, he's not gonna hit it on an eagle, and he drills it. Like maybe when there was like ten right in the feet middle, left, bud. 
Yeah. Like when it was like 10 feet left, I'm like, oh my God, he might do this. And when it sunk, I ran around my apartment. That was incredible. Yeah. If you didn't, like, I would think you're weird. Like, you I, have no I don't pulse. know how you could watch that and not feel like I was like screaming like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ear, what? Just like yelling, like, like jumping up and down. It was awesome. Man. Anyway, I don't know Oof. if anyone's going to listen to this episode. We might, we either just, we just like, we just killed no. it right out of the gate on. Golf, I don't but. care. Who cares? No, people will listen to this because I, I think there are people who uh, would appreciate the moment like this. Also, if they really want to get to the good stuff, they could just skip ahead to when we talk about some trade talk stuff. I, I think you have enough of a power that people would be able to listen through this segment. They could understand. Maybe. Do you know what's funny, too? I, so I threw in the group chat the picture. I have one picture from me covering the 2004 Canadian Open. And yes. both you and Drew noticed that I had an eyebrow ring at the time. <laughs> so there's some, there's some little known <laughs> CJ trivia for the 100 percenters in my... Late teens, early 20s, I did have an eyebrow ring for a period of time. There was a coworker of mine a couple of years ago who um, you used to work with at CP who mentioned that you had that eyebrow ring. And I was just like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way you had this. So when you showed me that photo, I don't know if we could put that up somewhere. But when you, sh when you showed that photo, I, I was like. tweeted it, it. And then I was like, I, I might oh, regret tweeting this. You might regret that. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, wow, she was right. <laughs> that was real. <laughs> that was real. But anyway, um, yeah. Oof. Okay, we've gone through a lot here. Let's get to sports interaction. Let's get to hockey after that. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. It's time, everybody, for You Can Bet That. Uh, for today's edition of our uh, segment. By the way, hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all your gaming needs. Who could be taken third overall in this month's NHL entry draft? Connor Bedard will go first. I think it's a foregone conclusion. We'll see Adam Fantilli go second. Who will go third? Leo Carlson is currently the betting favorite at minus 122. Will Smith at plus 180. Matt Faye Mitchkoff. If the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets want to go there at plus 462. And somehow if Adam Fantilli falls out of two, he is at plus 770 to be taken third overall. Yeah, so I saw Columbus was at the scouting combine, the, their their general manager last week. And, and obviously their, their scouts and the staff. And they took out three players to dinner. Mm. Will Smith, mm -hmm. Leo Carlson, and Adam Fantilli. Mm. So... You got, you got your, I mean, that, that's not to say, obviously they want to get to know the players as well as they can that are going to be in the range where, where they're picking. But uh, so maybe, maybe there's a little bit of a, a hint in there. That, that information, by the way, was courtesy of Aaron Portsline of the athletic. I saw he put that out. So just shout out to, to the homie Aaron. Your, someone to tuck under your cap. If you're trying to handicap, uh, you know, which order this first round is going to go. What do you think the weirdest question those prospects got asked in that dinner was? I don't know if the dinner they get asked weird stuff, but like certainly when they go through those team meetings, like a lot of teams, I, like they're playing 3D chess. I don't know. Like they ask crazy questions. Like if you could take a pill to win the Stanley Cup, you know, that automatically wins the Stanley Cup, do you take it? And then it's, you know, it's sort of a riddle because, you know, you, it's basically like, do you want to have a shortcut? Anyway, <laughs> there's all sorts of weird stuff. I think there's a lot of useful stuff that goes on there too, though. You know, I, I know of one team, for example, that'll, ask players like from the U S national program, they'll, they'll say, tell us who, if you could bring two of your teammates, 
who would you bring? And they, they like to use that because then they see which names they hear again and again and again. It just kind of gives them info on maybe who's a good teammate or, or what have you. And so I think some of it is, is useful. Some of it is weird Jedi mind tricks. Um, I'd love to sit in on one though. I, I, I think it'd actually be a Me cool too. event. It'd be a cool event if you could ever be a fly on the wall just to see the process the different teams take. Well, a segment idea. What if I compiled a list of questions that have been asked in the past at the Combine and I get you to answer them as honestly as you can? I'd do it. All right. Okay. I'll keep that one. Maybe that's, that's a lot of work though. You're going to have to, you're going to have to really use Google to, to find that. It's not like I have to go in a time machine and, and go to every single Combine. That's true. I'm just saying. Google Google is free. <laughs> Google's free. Anyway, uh, sportsinteraction.com. That too. We can always have AI. We have resources at our disposal to make that segment work. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Hey, happy Pride listeners. We celebrate Pride here at SDPN because we believe that sports are only fun if everyone is welcome. We're also really excited to share that we are once again working with our good friends at the Get Real Movement, and we're joining their fundraising efforts by joining a virtual 5K on June 23rd. The money we raise will be going to Rainbow Railroad. Their mission is to help LGBTQI plus people escape state-sponsored violence. It's an extremely important cause, and we've got a link in the description below. Please check it out and support if you can, and stay tuned as we continue to celebrate Pride Month. We're just getting started. As promised, uh, we will talk hockey on this podcast. Um, we kind of mentioned in our last episode a little bit about Pierre-Luc Dubois and the fact that uh, his days in Winnipeg seem to be numbered. Alex Dabrinkit, of course, with his situation as well in Ottawa, seems like those two will be changing addresses too. But uh, I'm sure you've noticed some of the different trade boards that are out. The Athletic has their own as well. In fact, I believe on their off-season trade board, the top three players on their board all belong to the Winnipeg Jets because uh, PLD is there. Connor Hellebuck is there. Mark Shifley is there. There's some other names like Travis Konechny out in Philadelphia, too. We could spend a couple of minutes just discussing some uh, names that could be out there for trade this offseason. How do you see it? Well, I, I think there's a fair bit. I mean, you, you have a couple of those notable situations. I mean, Winnipeg's pretty obvious where, you know, it's similar to what Calgary has in a sense. They have a lot of players that are due to become unrestricted free agents next summer. And so you're kind of having the debate internally. If, if, if we're not able to sign these, these players now, you know, what, what can they be moved for? Um, and, you know, you got Alex to as you mentioned, you know, I, I think too, the goalie market will be interesting. Like, you know, a name I, I've been hearing a bit of is, is John Gibson in Anaheim, you know, it could be the end of his run with, with the ducks, which, you know, I think makes some sense given, you know, where he's at in his career and, and, and what that organization is still going through in terms of, you know, their, their window to be competitive. Um, you know, I think, I think it's going to be a busy trade market. I, I really, I do think that in part, I mean, look what we've already seen happen where, where you have, you know, Gavrikov come off the board, uh, Damon Severson, uh, you know, does a sign and trade with New Jersey to Columbus. So you're already down two of the potentially better defensemen that could be available as free agents. And so I think it does increase the chance that, that, you know, other teams that might've been in the market for those players are going to now have to make a deal. In fact, I think Columbus is willing to make that deal. You know, look what they've done by getting Provorov and then Severson, you know, they put themselves in a position where I think that they can listen on, you know, a player like Andrew Peak, uh, Adam Boakfist. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, and, and basically see what the, the market will yield. And so it, it's this last week, especially has really felt, I mean, we did have the big deal, the, the big three-way trade, um, you know, with Provorov, but it, it just feels like there's a lot of action picking up out there. And, and, you know, I think we're going to have a pretty, pretty interesting couple of weeks if you're into the trades. If you're Columbus right now, you look at some of these ma- these moves that have been done to shore up your team and make make yourself a little bit more competitive. Uh, yes, they did already move uh, the second of the two first round picks they had, the LA Kings one. I can't imagine they'd be in a position where they'd be so so you know trigger happy to make a trade that they'd like move on from their third overall pick, right? Like I, I think they're at least still hold on to that and pick Leo Carlson as we talked about in our previous segment. Yeah, I mean, look, you never say never. I guess if you know, if uh, Nathan McKinnon got offered for it or something, of course, like, you know, I, I guess, mean, yeah, it, come on. I, I'm not going to say a hundred percent. No, but it's, you know, it doesn't sound like they're of the mind to move that pick. And, and, you know, I, I get it. Look, third overall pick, like you're, you're probably talking about someone who's playing your lineup in two years at minimum. And it could be next season. You know, who knows how that falls. And, and, you know, we've seen players like that be impactful and they're on cost control contracts, entry level deals for the first three seasons are in the league. So, you know, I, I think it's such a high pick. I There's a reason we never see them traded now, frankly. I mean, we just don't see picks this high go because that's that's the value. And, and you know, it's funny. It's boring a line that Brad Tree Living said when he was hired by the Leafs, but, it, like, a lot of pain goes into getting those picks, right? Like, you have to be really bad uh, and have, like, a really difficult season to be picking first or second or third. And so, obviously, it's important to hit the right player uh, when you're picking that high. But, so, yeah, I, I don't think Columbus – there's no reason to, to think that they're going to move that pick. Um, you know, but I, I like what they've done. Like, I, I think it's, it's kind of boring when teams just try to be bad for six straight years or something and, and just amass talent. Like I get that it's, it's, it has occasionally worked. There's a number of times it hasn't worked though. Like Buffalo is probably the easiest example to point to even Edmonton for a time. I know that ultimately it did turn into this era with, with McDavid and Dreisaitl and they've, you know, had a team that, that could win a Stanley cup, but it's been a long rebuild in Edmonton. And let's face it, they're on the second or third phase of it, depending on how you, you view what they've done. And so I, I think it's, it's good for the league to have a team like Columbus out there making the deals they are and, and, you know, taking, taking some risks and, and basically trying to win. I mean, ultimately you want a sport where most of the teams are trying to win. I mean, that, that, that is the point. Um, and the Blue Jackets, I think they've gotten ahead of the market now. And as I say, I would not be surprised to see them now flip one of their defensemen to another team because if you're another team, you're looking at it and you got Dmitry Orlov is, is a free agent. And then, you know, there's a fair drop-off to the next UFA defenseman. And I say that with respect to those players, but there's just, there's not bona fide. This isn't a market spilling over with, you know, first or second pair defensemen. I, I think a lot of the, the, the players out there are probably more likely third pair or, or specialist type players like a, like a Matt Dumba, for example, you know, who you're signing him to use him in a specific way. Um, but, you know, at this stage in his career, I don't know that you're signing him thinking he's going to play on your top pairing. And so, yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to get some trade activity and, and, and I will give the blue jackets at least a little bit of a stick tap here, even though it's not a stick tap that they're, that they're taking some risks. I mean, I don't know how it's going to work. I, I don't think anyone can. And they had so many injuries this year too. Like that's yeah. That's the other thing. Like this season was just like it's a total washout. Like I don't even know how to judge them on it. Um, but you know, by bringing in Mike Babcock, obviously big decision. You know, we we covered that on a previous episode, and then rebuilding their blue line a little bit here, and and there's lots of time for them to to still be active. Um, you know, 
this is uh this is good for the league. We, we, we I need, still think more teams trying to win. I still think the jury's out on on how those Columbus decisions will work, but I will give them. I said I tweeted the other day, like at least they have a better roster than they did last year. You're right; there were a lot of injuries that tore through them. Like, and I've made the 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 reference before. They looked more like the Cleveland Monsters than the Columbus Blue Jackets, their AHL affiliate. But like, I still don't know if they're like that much better to give fits to teams like Carolina and the Rangers and the Devils in their own division. Like, I don't know. But we have to we have to see how the game is played. Well, and who's going to play center for them? Is, yes, it's my you know. They they obviously have player, but they they don't have. It's it's a tough when you when you look around their division or even the the conference. Like when they're going head to head, and and teams are are throwing you know two or three centers out that might be better than their best center. Arguably, I mean that's that's a, those are tough games to win. But the, clearly the the strategy here is to build. You know, if they end up keeping Elvis Merzlikens, I mean they need him to have a bounce back. Obviously, they they gave him a big contract and and it hasn't gone well so far. And so they're going to need goaltending and they're going to try to win with defense. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty clear what the strategy is. And then they, they obviously have guys who can score. Goudreau will put up numbers. I'm very curious to see how a Patrick Line, a Mike Babcock relationship goes and grows. I mean, it could be a good yeah, thing for him. It was not, it's not an automatic that it's going to go terrible, but you know, Line a for me, he was one of the players. I, I, he was one of the more exciting players. I thought when he was young in his career, I would just love to see him get back on track um, I, I think it'd be good for the league. He's a great personality, obviously loves to score, but has some, some big deficiencies in other parts of his game. But maybe maybe between a combination of a new coach pushing different buttons and him just getting older, more mature, what have you, obviously he needs health too. He's, he's one of the players that, that did miss time a couple different times with different injuries. Um, I, I could see him getting back on track. So I, I don't think we intended to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets, but uh, we're in on the CBJs. We should also talk about Patrick Laine's former team, the Winnipeg Jets, and the fact that they seem to be listening in on a bunch of cornerstone pieces. I mentioned earlier, the Athletic has their offseason trade board, and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, Connor Hellebuck, and Mark Shifley are the three big names at the top of that board. Do we have a sense of what the Jets might want for each of those pieces? No, because I, I don't think it's a case. It's it's not a case where you set the price, right? I, I think it's, it's almost a case you're putting them on the market, so to speak, or at least taking those calls and seeing what someone might come at you with. I think, I think you go in into it with an open mind. You know, the jets don't want to just tear down their whole franchise though, and start finishing last. So, you know, we're going to be, I would think talking about hockey trades uh, if they move off of any of those guys, I think the, the important thing to, to highlight here is I'd be surprised if Winnipeg traded them all. Like, I, I don't think that's the scenario necessarily that's on the table. And I don't think that they're going to be forced into anything. I, I think that they'll be patient and and basically sniff out the market and and see what's best. I mean, to me, Hellebuck is fascinating because typically goaltenders don't bring you a whole lot in trades. If you if you look over the years, the goalies don't tend to to get you a large return. But you know, in his case, we're talking about one of the certainly one of the the, the upper end goalies in the league. Um, and so. I, I, I wonder if they can turn him into something, if, you know, because it doesn't seem as though he's inclined to, to want to sign up. You know, he mentioned at the end of the season to reporters, he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. Um, and so those are, those are huge decisions looming over that franchise. But as I say, I don't, I don't think they're going to make them rashly. And I, and I don't think it's, we're talking about a full, you know, 
tear apart the deck here. I think that they, they've got to, they've got to find a way to make a good trade with one of those players. And, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. Like there's obviously a lot of discussion about Dubois because he's not willing to sign a long-term deal, but there is still an option where they can get him on a one-year deal and have him back next season. Like, I, I don't think that's been entirely ruled out. And, and remember how their year ended, Julian, it feels like ages ago, but you, you had Rick bonus, their head coach putting his best players on blast after, you know, they went out pretty meekly to Vegas. Now, you know, maybe with time, it looks different. The golden Knights it looks like they're probably going to win the Stanley cup. So now if you're in Winnipeg, you still don't like the loss, but you're, you're at least looking at the, the team that beat you as the one that, you know, went through the playoffs and, and maybe gets the whole job done. And so that might soften things a little bit, but uh, you know, fascinating off season for the jets and not, a, not, there's no obvious way forward, right? Like there's not one answer here. I think that they have to truly be open to a number of different avenues to go down and then just see what the market yields for their players. I would be surprised if we like, like some, like one of those three players, if two of those three players have to go, as far as I'm concerned, you, you're right. They lost to a team that is as of this recording, one win away from the Stanley cup. They also lost that series in five. You could almost make an argument that some of those guys pretty much quit. There's a reason why Rick bonus went to the podium and put his players on blast. If it was a seven game series, it was tightly contested. Maybe that's a different story. This was a team that was the best team in Canada at one point in the season. And they had a tumbling down period for the second half of the year. Like, I, I understand that you look. You could look at a core. I mean, they like barely Winnipeg. made the playoffs, right? They, they barely made the playoffs. Yeah. They need Calgary had to mess it all up near the end of the year for them to make the playoffs. I understand if you look at this team and you think, "Hey, you know what? There's some good pieces here. You don't want to do a full scale rebuild and all that." But I, I think if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you've rolled this core how many times? There's another thing that's got to get brought up too: the Golden Knights, the team you lose to in the first round, they're in the Cup final. The head coach that was in charge of that of that core said, you know what, I'm going to take a break. And now he's in the Stanley Cup final with the Florida Panthers. There's something up with those players and something has to be done. Right. I mean, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances there. I mean, Paul Maurice was in Winnipeg a long time. He's mentioned that the pandemic played a role in some of the feelings he had with the job. Like, like this, that isn't all on the court. But yes, I mean, those guys have had a long run. And look, the players themselves are forcing the issue because it sounds like the players are the ones not you know, wanting to play ball and, and sign longer term deals and, and stay around there. So, I mean, at a certain point, then like, what are you going to do? They're all, they're all have the chance to become unrestricted free agents in 2024. And so it's, it's, how do you react to that? I mean, we're all, we're all saying like, how can you make the Matthew Kachuk trade or, or some version of it? Um, you know, where, where maybe you're, you're sending someone like Dubois to a place he wants to go, you know, he's um, you know, kind of what the, the, the needle that Ottawa is trying to thread with Alex to too, is, you know, you, you hope you can maximize the value and you get back in return for him by sending him to, to one of the teams that he's willing to sign a long-term contract with. So yeah, the jets change is coming in Winnipeg and, and it's, it's being driven by the players too. It's not just a front office decision saying this group can't get over the top or anything like that. Um, the goalie market, we can go on that a little bit more. We did mention Connor Hellebuck, but John Gibson being available, He's still a really good goalie, uh, pretty much playing the prime of his career. Uh, we mentioned the big board as well, a handful of goalies in your list as well. Uh, Frederick Anderson, Aiden Hill being mentioned. I still wonder out in Calgary, considering they're so close to the cap, if Dan Vladar, who's supposed to start the first of a two-year contract where he's getting paid 2.2 mil, if another team might just see him as like a cheaper option in that group as well. Like I like this is, this could be a very interesting time for, for net minders this off season when it comes to them being moved around. 
Yeah, I mean, there's always kind of a carousel, it feels like, in the league these days. I mean, a lot of, a lot of say, the middle-tier goalies just sign relatively short contracts, and so they don't get a ton of stability, and they, they kind of get moved around. You know, Frederick Anderson's an example of that, having gone from Anaheim to Toronto to Carolina to potentially somewhere else now as a, as a pending UFA. Um, I, I do think we, we will see some, some goalies traded. For the reasons you mentioned, too, it's not, not a long list of UFAs out there. I mean full marks to Aiden Hill. I mean, who knows? He could maybe win the Conn Smythe trophy. We'll, we'll probably learn in the next few days here um, if that's the case. But, you know, if you're making a decision somewhere where you feel like you got to win next year, like, are you confident that he's going to be your number one guy? I mean, Tristan Jari's had some nice seasons in Pittsburgh. This, this is an off year. You know, he's one of the pending UFAs, even at Anderson. I mean, he's, he's been so injured each of the last three years. He's missed, you know, chunks of time with, with injury problems. And so that, that creates issues. You know, I think with Gibson, you're right. He's, he's had a period where he was one of the best goalies in the league. He's been on a bad team now for so long and he's faced so many shots. Like, I don't know how you would project what he would be on a, a good team. Like it, it I, I think that I'd be nervous because obviously he, he comes with a fairly large contract and, and maybe there's a chance he isn't that guy. And it's just, it's hard to really judge his performance. I'm sure teams obviously have ways of evaluating this, that, that, are far exceeding what, what I'm able to do. Um, you know, but, but he, he's been part of a rebuilding program. And at one point I looked, he was facing by far the most shots in the league last season. So, you know, how, how do you judge that versus, you know, playing behind a team like Carolina, for example, where Freddie Anderson's been and the hurricanes are, are one of the better five on five teams in the league. Don't, don't give up a whole lot. And so I think the goalie always tends to look pretty good. That's in their crease um, because there's a, a pretty big difference in the kind of shots they're facing. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting market to see where everything settles. And, you know, maybe we'll get a, even a surprise trade. I, I, I don't know how it's all going to shake out just yet. Mm, I do love surprise trades. <laughs> I like knowing about them myself. I mean, you're in a position where you would find a way to know about them before most of us would. Sometimes. So. We're doing our Sometimes. best. Sometimes. That's true. Any other bits of uh, trade free agent talk we should be on the lookout for before I move on? No, I think any of anything else has fallen out of my brain after watching that golf. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I just get it. I'm going to be honest and show my work and say I'm having trouble focusing because that I'm still I'm still kind of buzzing from that. Don't worry, we'll we'll try to maintain the focus. And again, if you want another couple of minutes, we could do that at the period where we would normally do ask CJ. We did answer a lot of questions last week, so the uh, question bag is not as full uh, as we would normally have it for the Monday. So we'll, we'll make right. it work. That's, That's right. okay. We'll, we'll make it go. Um, in your neck of the woods, uh, Shane Doan uh, joining the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, front office. A lot of people connecting some dots with Shane Doan's inclusion. Uh, one guy named Austin Matthews said uh, he really liked him as a player. I uh, really enjoyed him as a player. I think there's a tweet out there somewhere. Uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit for some people. What are your thoughts on Shane Doan being included in the Toronto Maple Leafs front office? Well, quite honestly, I think it says interesting things about the Coyotes more than it does the Leafs, um, just because we know what Shane Doan has meant to the, the Coyotes organization. Uh, long, 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 long time player, a huge advocate for hockey in Arizona. Of course, you know, one of the, the people that sort of inspired Austin Matthews to, to get involved in the game, even Matthew Nyes, another prospect of the Leafs that was you know raised in, in Arizona and, and has reached the NHL. But, you know, the, the fact that he's willing to leave, you know, it's partly the opportunity, but it, you know, might 
hint at you know some of the the uncertainty of, of what's going on in Arizona. And obviously, if you're in Shane Doan's shoes, you don't know if you know when an opportunity like this might come along again. And you know, while I understand why people want to make the the Matthews connection, I, I don't think it's going to have a bearing on anything. Um, but but clearly, Shane Doan, you know, he's his title's special advisor to, to GM Brad Tree Living. You know, Brad worked for the Coyotes for years before he was the Flames general manager, and so you know their relationship dates back to that point in time. And, you know, he's going to, I would expect, be an important part of Lee's front office. It sounds like he's going to spend a lot of time next season in Toronto and, and be around the team a lot. So, you know, I don't know how that'll work with his family situation. I'm sure he'll keep a base in, uh, in Arizona. But, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't a part-time gig. If anything, it's maybe a little bit like the role that, that Jason Spezza was filling with Kyle Dubas last season uh, in Toronto. And, and you know, we'll, we'll just have to see kind of where it, it goes and how, you know, what, basically falls under Shane's purview because it's, you know, it's not entirely clear how everything's going to shake out in the Leafs front office right now, but you know, someone who spent a long time in the game and it probably doesn't hurt that, that uh, Austin Matthews has such an affinity for him. I know they've skated together a lot over the years, um, you know, in, in Scottsdale at the ice den there. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a nice sidebar story. And I, and I get that people want to, it's so funny how people want to read the tea leaves, Julian. Like it's like, yeah, they really want Austin Matthews signed bad in Toronto. I know that. First of all, it's, it's June 12th. So, you know, he's not allowed to be signed. Like, like literally you can't sign a contract legally right now. And so there's no problem yet. I guess everyone's just like trying to, I don't know. They're nervous. Like, I don't get it. You know, I've been very consistent on this for a year. I have not wavered once and I have given, been given no reason to believe there's like any chance that he's not signing an extension. You know, I think that the que- the two questions that matter on this file are what does the contract look like? Cause I don't have that answer yet. And when does he sign? Because I, the, the, when will matter. Like, like if we get to training camp and he hasn't signed, obviously in a market like Toronto with the, the attention the Leafs get like that, that will, you know, the dynamics of when it happens will matter eventually. It just, I don't think there's any reason yet to be, freaked out about it. And, and, you know, I think the most logical outcome here is probably a mid range deal. Um, you know, it's not to say, I don't, I don't think, I don't even think Austin Matthews knows for sure, you know, like until you know, it's my understanding, Brad true Living's going to, you know, finally be able to connect with them and, and travel down this coming week and, and, you know, start getting to know each other in a face to face setting. And, and obviously at, at some point they're going to get down to business, but I, I don't think that Austin Matthews knows for sure exactly what the, is best for his next contract. He's got to listen to what the team says. You know, these are big decisions. I, th- I think that's the one thing from afar people tend to overlook. Like they just want him to sign tomorrow, but you know, Nathan McKinnon didn't sign until September 20th last year. He was in the exact same position last summer as Austin Matthews. And he went the whole summer before signing the deal that, that made him uh, the, the richest player in the league. 12.6 million is the highest cap hit of any player in the NHL right now, I, I would suspect it won't last too long because uh, I will go out on a limb and say Matthews' deal will be north of that. Um, you know, David Pasternak went into March. I think it was March 2nd he signed his deal under the same circumstances. And I don't think any of us thought for a moment David Pasternak wanted to play anywhere but Boston, but sometimes the, the contract talks aren't smooth or there's different dynamics at play. And so I would just advise anyone with any emotional attachment to this one is to, to maybe just relax a little bit. Cause I, I certainly don't have any reason to believe it's going to all come together here in three weeks uh, and that he's going to be signing on July 1st or anywhere close to that fact. I mean, I, I, again, I suppose anything is possible, but not, none of the signs are currently pointing that direction. And this is going to be a process that, 
you know, Brad Tree Living, Austin's agent, Judd Moldaver, that they really have to, to work through. And obviously Austin and his family have to be comfortable with where things end up. But, you know, he's going to be a Maple Leaf. I would be extremely shocked. Something's going to have to go really wrong. And I, I just, I don't see why that would happen. I mean, I think the Leafs understand how important he is to, to their organization. Uh, he's, he loves the city, wants to keep playing uh, for the Leafs. And so, you know, they'll, they'll get down to business eventually. Would the expected jump in the salary cap within the next few years be among those factors that Austin and his representation would have to consider for a possible extension? Of course, because you don't know what it looks like. So for him to sign an eight-year deal, this is just a hypothetical you and I talking, mm-hmm. he has to project what the cap is going to be. And so the truth is to, to make it make sense on his end of it, like maybe he needs 20% of the cap, which is the maximum contract you can sign on an eight-year deal the day you're signing it. And so maybe that number has to be 16 or 17 million. But the problem is, is that's too much right now for the Leafs to be competitive, right? And so six years from now, 16 or 17 million might be a totally fair contract. I mean, I've heard that starting in the summer 2024, I've heard that there's some expectation the cap could go up five to six million just that one year. So we might go from 83 and a half, assuming that's where we end up next season. That's not fully decided yet, but we could jump to almost 90 million by summer 2024. And so if it keeps going up like that a couple of years, well, a few years from now, a hundred million dollar cap, we're definitely going to have players making 17 million. The best players in the league will be making that much money. So I, I think that there's a lot of risk. Um, I mean, look, there's risk for the team every time you sign a long-term contract. Cause you just don't, you don't know. And they're fully guaranteed deals. Um, I think there's risk on Austin Matthews side of signing for too long and just not leaving yourself the flexibility. And so, I, it will not surprise me. I mean, he signed a five-year deal at a time. Not a lot of players were signing a five-year deal on their, on their second contract. If you remember the the McDavid and Dreisaitl contracts came in at eight years, a number of other players of sort of similar stature around that same point in time signed eight-year deals with, for their second NHL contract. He, he, he was a bit of a trailblazer there. I would expect he'll do things somewhat different than the way other players would now. And so I think something like a three to four-year contract will probably make the most sense to him ultimately. Um, but it's hard to, it's hard to say where that will go until the, the team and he start having just actual discussions about it. I mean, right now it's just been a kind of a waiting game, you know, Austin's in Arizona doing his own thing, um, recovering from the season, starting to get his workouts underway and, and Brad tree living's busy doing just about everything, including hiring Shane Doan on Friday. Yeah. Pretty much like, like when I see Shane Doan, the role that he's in, I think of like Craig Conroy who retired and then became an assistant to Jay Feaster, then became an AGM to, to Brad for living. So I wonder if it's just a similar track mind, but also with Austin, like Adam Wild was talking about this on the SDP, but like if I'm Austin Matthews and I'm confident enough that these projections for the cap are going to go up as everyone says that they will in the next few years, why wouldn't I sign a two, three year deal? Like I get that fans obviously want him locked up long so they don't have to worry about the possibility of, of him signing a shorter term deal. Like, I mean a bit of a different story, but like Matthew Kachuk signed a short term deal a couple years back. And then he lets the Flames know that he wants to leave. And then, bam, he, he is where he is at now. And I can imagine if you're a Leafs fan, you do not want that scenario. But if you're but if you're Austin Matthews and you feel you could be making so much money, especially as one of the best players in the world, why wouldn't you do that? Like, it's I, I think of the NBA when they had those TV contracts changing up and all that money being poured into that. You were seeing players doing something similar. Like, it's it's a, like it's inevitable. Vladislav Gavrikov is doing that. If he's signing yes. a two-year deal uh, in his situation – why can't Austin Matthews do the same thing? 
Yeah, like that's that's an unusual one. The Kings wanted a three or four year deal, and and he wanted a two year deal. Like you almost never hear that for players. No, and I get it because the sport is is vicious, and guys frequently do get injured, and and you know it's nice to have that guaranteed money. I mean, we just you know we're not long after seeing Cole Caulfield sign an eight year deal, and a lot of people would have thought he wouldn't want it. But I mean, the flip side of that conversation, if you're Cole Caulfield, they're offering you whatever fifty million dollars or whatever the actual number is pretty hard to say no to that that's guaranteed money that changes a generation or two of your family uh, depending on how you manage it um you know i think for for matthews too this is a maybe a counterpoint that fans haven't thought of if he signs a two or three year extension i mean first of all he's already under contract for next season mm-hmm. so if he's doing a three-year deal he, he's committed his next four seasons to the leafs you know i actually don't think that's the worst for the organization because it keeps a pressure on them to be good enough to keep signing him beyond that point Do you know what i'm saying like i i think that it doesn't allow complacency to get in to anything that you're doing. If that's the case, because if he does sign a two or three or four year deal, it doesn't mean he can't sign another one beyond it. Like there's, it doesn't guarantee he's going to leave, but I think that it's, it's smart if you're in his shoes or skates to, to leave your options open a little bit and, and, you know, keep, put yourself in a position, first of all, to, to, to cash in on the jumps in the cap um, potentially, but also it just, it gives you flexibility in your career and your life. If, if you want to have a change, I mean, um, you know, hockey players, I mean, there's so many, I guess, that want to just play for one team, but I think we're going to start to see a little bit more of like the, the influences of the NBA, you know, like that's, that's what I'm seeing with like Dubois and Debrinket. Like it's more players taking their situations in their hand and, and look, it's their life. Like I, I know when you're a fan, you get attached and maybe it's difficult to see a certain player leave your city or your team. Um, but from a business standpoint for those individuals, I mean, it's kind of crazy. They get drafted into the league in their first seven years. They're not unrestricted free agents that they have to basically play for the organization that, that drafted them. I mean, it, it, there's, there's no equivalent to that in, in everyday life. I mean, it's, it's a very unusual thing. And, and let's keep in mind, careers are really short. Like the average career is, you know, PK Subban's retired. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? Like, I feel like you just entered the league. Like it's, you, you don't get a long time to, to line your situation up the right way. And so if you're one of the best players or a player that's in high demand, I, I don't, it's going to be tough for some GMs, but I don't, I don't have a problem with them exerting their rights. Yeah, man. Like I'm, I'm with you. I get it. There are, there are guys like McDavid. There are guys like McKinnon who want that long-term stability. They want the seven, they want the eight years. They want all that money that's there. But, like, that's kind of boring to me. And I know some people don't like the NBA-ification of the NHL. They don't like the similarities. But you know what I love, CJ? I love hanging out on Twitter and minding my own business and then seeing some random NBA player be like, I'm opting out of this contract because I want something massive. I want a big eight-year deal or whatever contract I want making millions of dollars. And then all of a sudden you're seeing Shams and Waj go at it just tweeting out all this different news. You know what that does? That brings eyeballs to the sport. That brings conversations and 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 emergency podcasts and TV segments about these players and all of a sudden you're intrigued about that season and you're like, "Oh, oh my god, like James Harden was in Houston all this time. He's playing in Philly now." or Brooklyn or whatever. Like I'm interested in this. If it's we're in a situation, it's and entertaining it's the entertainment business, dude. If Austin Matthews signs a three year deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And at the end of that deal, he's like, you know what? The Leafs were, were we, we tried as much as we could with this core. And we say, you know what, man, 
I want to hear what LA has to say. I want to hear what the New York Rangers have, have to say. That is such a golden opportunity. And I get it. We're, we're trusting in the NHL to do a good job with marketing this. But also in this case, you'd have to look at Sportsnet and TSN on, in terms of marketing that too, in terms of a free agent frenzy. But like that's entertainment. That is something that like we see happening in other leagues that like I think the NHL could stand to – like that would really be helpful, I think, personally. Sure. And if you're the player, in terms of a player empowerment era, like if you're Austin Matthews and you're thinking about going somewhere else, like and you have all these different suitors going at you, man, like – I think that would be really interesting, and that would really mark a big change in how people consume the sport. The problem is, is a hard cap, right? Yes. Because even like even if Austin Matthews or any similar kind of star quality player was a free agent on July first, like there's there's not that many teams that would have the ability truly to sign them and still feel like they're that they're going to be good, right? Like that's that's the, that's the hard thing is with with the cap. I feel like it it kind of gums up the works, although. Let's remember, we're in an era right now. We just saw all the GMs go bananas at the trade deadline. They did. We've seen, we've seen Columbus now make two deals during the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I I, I kind of feel like maybe the teams are, the GMs or the front offices aren't using the cap as an excuse so much these days. I, I It feels like everyone's getting a little bit more emboldened with, with some of the moves. And it's actually hilarious when you look at it. I mean, I know uh, Vegas went out and, and did, did trade for Barbashev uh, and, and Teddy Bluger as well. But, you know, Florida stood pat. <laughs> like, like the two teams in the final didn't really – they weren't involved in the craziest moves we saw. And so, you just wonder. I don't know. Is that going to ruin next year's trade deadline? I hope not. I hope not either. That being said, because because if you go look further to last offseason, Vegas didn't make that many changes either. Yeah, they made the Max Pacioretty trade. But, like, they brought in Phil Kessel. I think they brought in Aiden Hill in the offseason last year too, I want to say. I'm trying yeah. to remember that. Yeah. But, like – you're right. They didn't really make that many moves, but that came after they made a bunch of moves to get guys like Alex Petrangelo. They made the big money move to get Jack Eichel it, uh, it, partway through the season. They had done all of their dealings year in, year out, and and they're in the Stanley Cup final right now. Florida, okay, they didn't do anything at the deadline, but they had already made the biggest move of the offseason in getting Matthew Kachuk. So it's kind of funny seeing how how both GMs here in the situation, Kelly McCrimmon and, and, and Bill Zito, just with their dealings, either standing pat when they need to or making moves when they need to, it has resulted in both of those teams going to the Stanley Cup final. And I get it fine with Florida. They needed that Pittsburgh loss and all that. But even then, like, they're in the final. They gambled and it worked. Yeah, I think Bill Zito, all but three players in the organization have been acquired by him. And he's he's only been on the job three years. So, I mean, that's that's pretty nuts in and of itself. Three years? Man, that's crazy. But yeah, no, all credit to Bill Zito for putting himself in a position where he could make a trade with a Cal with Calgary to get a player like Matthew Kachuk, a player that they've looked at in scouting meetings and said, man, like if you could have a player like that, you do it. Uh, and well, funny enough, we could transition over to talking about the Stanley Cup final because it's game five uh, would be tomorrow in this case for people listening to the podcast is in the building. It is in the building. Is Matthew Kachuk going to be available for that game five? I have to think that he will, even though he was, you know, trying not to tip his hand too much at the end of game five. And he's been banged up a lot throughout this series. Yeah, this is the unfortunate part of the playoffs, right? Is is injuries come into play. Um, you know, it's just such a grind, physical, mental, emotional grind. And, you know, Kachuk, you can see it, it feels like his arms aren't attached properly or something. Like, unfortunately, he just doesn't have the the upper body movement that you would hope and like to to have if you're him 
just knowing what a competitor he is, it's hard to imagine him missing the game, but who knows what percentage he's out there at. And he did manage to score a big goal at the end of game three to, you know, give Florida some life, you know, help them come back that night and, and win in overtime. And, you know, I, as much as you get inclined, you see a series at three, one, you know, we both picked the golden Knights, so we're not surprised to see them in a good spot, but you know, it's not over until it's over. And so I, I just think Kachuk will, will be out there, but um, you know, unfortunately just, he's definitely not a hundred percent. And of course he's, which needs to be said, he's far from the only one on either side. We, some, sometimes we can tell or, or come to know of things. And then there's a lot of stuff we don't know about until after the season's done. And they, they spend 10 minutes going through all the injuries. <laughs> you're just like you're just listening in thinking oh this person suffered uh, an acl tear I mean, that's a little bit more severe but it's like oh this person played through the postseason with a separated shoulder yes stuff like that yes well i mean um, Patrice Bergeron yeah. played with a collapsed lung which isn't wise but no but he still no. did it and then he like went to hospital like directly after the game leon dreisaito did all the amazing stuff he did last postseason on one foot right yeah um, who do you see as the Conn Smythe leader right now? We know Jonathan Marchessault has been really good. A lot of people are saying, hey, Jack Eichel, if there's no uh, Jack Eichel, Jonathan Marchessault isn't performing at the same level. Uh, is it down to those two guys at this point, especially since Vegas is in the driver's seat? Who do you see this going to? Well, I don't think you can look past Aiden Hill either. Um, you know, to me, it's one of those three players is, is probably who's going to get it. It's, it's a hard award, right? You're voting on playoff MVP. And, you know, some of that naturally, it, it, it's a big moments award, right? It, and Marcia so has scored so many big goals, you know, had a hat trick in, in the, the clinching game against Edmonton. And then he's basically scored almost every night since, um, you know, but, but Eichel is their top line center and obviously is factored into a lot of those plays. And then, you know, Aiden Hills come in and, and, and save, save them. So I, I don't actually know who the favorite is and I happen to have a vote. So I'm, I'm in a That's true. conflicted position right now just of myself. And it's funny. I was chatting with someone earlier today, kind of who knows the team well. And uh, you know, he was, he was saying it has to be Marcia. So, so, and I was kind of leaning more towards Eichel. And, and so I, I guess the point is, I think there's varying opinions because there's varying choices. I mean, what do you have a, do you have a strong feeling one way or the other or my pre-series pick was Aiden Hill. Um, I understand that Jack Eichel means a lot at his center position, setting up a player like Marcia soul, but this guy's on like a nine, I was on a nine game point streak. He had that hat trick. He's, he's, he's delivered in some really big moments for this team. I, I think I'd give him, I mean, I'd love to see Aiden Hill and be proven right. But like, I think Marcia so has really done well, and especially in this series. And I would probably, if I had a vote, which I do not, uh, I would give it to Jonathan Marcheseau in this case. Right. And let's keep in mind, too, the vote doesn't happen until after you see game five. Maybe something happens there and maybe it goes seven game series. So we got three more games of, of data or, or things to consider. But, you know, I think I'm with you. It seems it's it's hard to ignore the volume of goals that Marcheseau scored. And he's not scoring them in empty nets or anything either. I mean, if you look at when they were scored and, and you know what they meant to the team in those those nights. I mean, he's, it's hard to argue. He hasn't been a huge part of their success and arguably maybe the most important part of it during this, this run. Exactly. Uh, but game five uh, on Tuesday, did you see Charles Barkley talk to Kyle Bukaskis on uh, Sportsnet, or did you watch Charles Barkley on the uh, NHL on TNT panel for a couple minutes? Oh yeah, that was good. I that was really Charles. good. I like. I find it really funny that like, 
Charles Barkley, like we see him do all these funny moments on inside with, with the NBA. And I can't think of too many times where like his analysis is like, I mean, it's good enough, but like, it's clearly he's entertaining. But then when he's sitting with all those NHL guys, he's making analysis. I'm like, this is like the best bit of analysis that like almost anyone has been able to give, <laughs> which is so strange. I don't think he's hidden the fact that I think he likes hockey better than basketball at this stage. He likes the sport a lot. He, he keeps mentioning how John Cooper is one of his good friends. Like he genuinely likes talking hockey. Yeah. So in 2015, uh, the Eastern Conference final went to game seven. It was at Madison Square Garden. The Lightning won the game uh, to, to advance to their, their first cup final under Cooper. And I got wind of the fact that Barkley was in their, their dressing room partying. And so I went and I went and staked it out and uh, I basically waited him out. And eventually he came out and. He gave me an interview and, and, you know, at wow. that point, at that point in time, it wasn't as known that he was tight with Cooper. Like it was, that was a bit more of a, an interesting quirk and, and he'd had a few drinks, but he was, he was such a gentleman. It was, that was actually pretty cool for me to, to stake out Charles Barkley partying with the lightning. Like it's just, I mean, again, life is. I'm trying to picture like what, how, what questions you were trying to give it to like, Hey, how's it feel party with him? Well, CJ, it was really good partying with my friend, John Cooper and the lightning. Yeah. I think I was honestly just asking like why he was a lightning fan, you know, how him and Cooper met. I think it was just more of a, you know, really, I just wanted to see what, is it true that he's in there partying with the lightning? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> That's amazing. That was cool. Um, do you have a prediction I, for game five? I predict the series goes to game six. Mm, we stay consistent with that. So we will, you think it will go back to Florida for game six. I do. But I don't have like okay. scores or I don't have circumstances in mind. I just think there's a lot of pressure on Vegas, right? And and even when they're ahead three one in the series, it's like it's it's hard to go home. There's the extra day, all your family's flying in, and there's there'll just be this expectant feeling, right? And I just remember a few circumstances like this. St. Louis, game six of their cup final before they won it game seven in Boston, but it was just like literally tens of thousands if not a hundred thousand people on the streets it's you know it's june it's great weather everyone's ready for a party and, and it's hard to deliver in that moment like pittsburgh um might have been the san jose cup they, they had a chance to clinch their first ever stanley cup on home ice and, and missed out on it and you know ended up winning actually they won both in, in nashville and in san jose so i just i feel like it could be that kind of situation it's tough look it's tough to to close out a series and and you just know Florida's going to throw everything they can at him, too. I forgot to ask. I forgot to ask, CJ, near the end of that game four of the Stanley Cup final, where we saw the little brouhaha with, with the Golden Knights and, and the Panthers and, and Matthew Kachuk getting into it with, with Petrangelo, but also that random stoppage that occurred with, with Wes McCauley blowing the whistle and there was no penalty called. I Can you explain that to me like I'm five? Because I don't understand why that happened. I'm not sure what happened there either, if I'm being honest. Like, no, like, it doesn't make sense to me that that happened. And I, it's still, we've, we've I've complained about on the show many a time. It frustrates me that we can't get explanations like this from, from the referees about stuff like that, because I, I don't get why that happened in the final few moments. I'm here for answers, but I do not have an answer to that question. Okay, well, I, I I figured I'd try. I figured I'd try. I know this show has run as long as it has. I feel like the last few minutes are just, oh, yeah, right, we got to talk about the final. Let me just spitball some questions, especially since we don't really have an Ask CJ to do. But I figured that last one was worth asking. 
I love it. Well, you stumped me, so there you go. Wow, that never that's not supposed to happen. I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> Sunday night, bud. I gave it you my is. best. You did, you did. Um, I, I, I didn't even ask you about the the reports that Ryan Huska is going to succeed uh, Daryl Sutter as Flames head coach. That's that's well, partially we'll, that's partially why this episode is is coming out what it is. Well, we'll follow your coverage on Monday of that. I like that, and I think that's going to do it uh, for this Monday edition uh, of the CJ Show, which we recorded on a Sunday. Thank you for for giving us as much as you could, knowing your brain is still uh, enamored by uh, Nick Taylor and his yeah. heroics at the RBC Canadian Open. Yeah, I feel settled down now. I think I'll be able to sleep after this. So that's that's good because it was going to be I was I was amped up enough that, that sleep was going to be in danger for an early night on a Sunday. You were going to be like in your bed just with your covers up. Just like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, why not? It was it was cool. I, like. If if you don't if you don't like that I don't know if you can like sports that's all I'm saying if you can't exactly, get man. into something like that like that's that was that was real like I'll tell you this much because we we did start recording right after that round pretty much ended like I'm yeah. now going to spend the next hour going to watch like what he said to the reporters reading some of the stories of our colleagues like I'm I'm going to dive back into this because I I still haven't had my fill of that that big moment and with that we will wrap it up here. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Click like and subscribe. Tell all your friends about the Chris Johnston show. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Enjoy your week. Peace. The Chris Johnston show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at reporter Chris and follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston show.